Hello, beautiful people, and welcome to yet another rendition of the mm, About That podcast with me, your host, your favorite geek psychologist, your favorite pop culture enthusiast, your favorite queen of the nerds, Dr. Vanessa Hintz. Now, first and foremost, I'm going to address the elephant in the room, which is that I likely sound more nasally than usual because I am at the tail end of one of the many ailments that we get in the Midwest during the wintertime. So a cold, the flu, COVID, I don't know, one of those things um, is what I had. And I am, again, at the tail end of it, feeling much, much better. So if I sound weird, that's why. Nonetheless, I was talking to my husband and I was like, uh, should I wait to record until I sound better and less like SpongeBob from that episode when he had the suds? Like, and my husband said, no, you present yourself in your authentic form. And I was like, you know what? You damn right. So this is how I am presenting to you all today as I am nasally and all. And so the other reason I didn't want to wait is because I am positively brimming with anticipation for this episode because I'm going to talk about probably the one of the first, if not the first, things that I ever geeked out about. One of the first things that I ever knew, like, that's something that I love, this is my jam, this is my genre, these are my people, and I am talking about horror films, scary movies, and I am excited to talk to you all not only about my foray into the horror genre and sort of how I came to love horror movies, scary movies, particularly slasher films, we will get there, um, but also to talk a little bit about what horror teaches us about difference as a psychologist, as somebody who works in diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, I often work with people um, about how they make sense of things in the world around them. So how do you value things? How do you value yourself, et cetera, et cetera. And I think horror, the genre, generally speaking, scary movies, whatever, scary stories, have taught us, I don't want to say taught us, let me let me back up. I think horror movies can exacerbate societal ideals about what is to be feared. Uh, it can also teach us how we value or relate to difference. Um, and so we're going to get into all of that. But first, let me take a trip down memory lane um, all the way back to the halls of Nanny Lee Frazier Elementary School in Louisville, Kentucky, which is where I remember voluntarily reading my first scary stories. And I'm talking about uh, the collection of scary stories in the book, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark by Alvin Schwartz. Um, And I know there was a second book, More Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. But I remember, I distinctly remember, it had to be like second or third grade. And I was so excited to check that book out of the library. I read it all, I believe, in one sitting. Um, And it was awesome. It was so awesome, the the sort of thrill I got from reading it. Again, why that was an elementary school book, I don't know. Um, but I loved it, and I wanted more scary stories. 
Um, I also was entirely too young to be watching scary movies, but I was doing it anyway because the 90s were definitely different. Um, The way, you know, we were just left to our own devices a lot of the times, which is no shade. I think that's why I'm uh, a boss independent woman now. Nonetheless, watching scary movies uh, with my sisters more often than not, and two scary movies I feel like were instrumental into my falling in love with the genre one was absolutely inappropriate um and that is the ninth uh movie in the friday the 13th franchise jason goes to hell i watched that movie over and over and over again um i love jason jason Voorhees, which i'll get into in much greater detail later on um but that was a movie that i remember we had a vhs tape that had hopefully y'all remember what a vhs tape is that you put in a vcr um but we had a vhs tape that had that along with the movie crybaby on it and crybaby with johnny depp from 1990 is by far my most favorite movie in the history of movies um so i would literally just watch that vhs all the time and so jason goes to hell um but also the original made for tv it that came out in 1990 that was another movie that i watched so often and it's so funny because it's different to watch it as an adult because the things that scared me then I'm like uh definitely different now um but those were two movies again that I watched when I was entirely too young that again really cemented my love for the genre um and I would say as I have grown over time in my love for the genre something that I feel like continues to be appealing to me is the exhilaration that I get from feeling scared in a safe environment. Now, let me reiterate. I'm not the type of person that's going to go to a haunted house. Like, I don't want to be scared in real life. Absolutely not. Being scared when you're watching a movie, though, is something that's very different because there's like a, to me, almost like a protective barrier between me and the scary thing. You know, if I'm reading a scary book, I can always close it. You know, those things still linger, but I know that that's a story. I can watch a movie And I know that I'm watching something on a screen, which is very different, again, than being scared in real life. And so for me, that's what I love about horror. Um, And so what I want to do now is talk a little bit about, take us through a very crude, very fast history of American horror films. Now, this, again, is going to be, this is not a dissertation. This is not something that is going to be scholarly by any way, shape, or form. Um, But I remember watching a documentary called Nightmares in Red, White, and Blue. And so I was very intrigued by the way that they sort of walked through these different eras of horror. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about those different eras beginning in the 1930s and 40s all the way up through today and sort of how films, horror films that were sort of um, pivotal at the time, how those were reflective of where we sort of were as a society. And again, I'm talking very specifically about American horror. Um, and so this is going to be very U.S. centric. And that's no shade um, to any other land space globally. Just wanted to sort of put that caveat out before I start. So in the 1930s and the 1940s, a lot of the premier horror films were cl- what we call classic monster movies. So Frankenstein, The Wolfman, Dracula... 
the mummy, things like that. And I would say that part of that is because around this time, early on in the 1930s, was when we were sort of coming out of that silent film era and coming into, you know, uh, cinema was coming into its own with sound and all of these different things. And so I feel like a lot of filmmakers at that time wanted to put these classic stories on screen. So we got a lot of that in the early ages of cinema with sound. Uh, Special mention from this era is the movie Freaks from 1933, which was essentially about carnival sort of sideshow people, um, which again, I think was a deviation from the other films of the era, which again, we're going to talk a little bit about what that means um, later on. But I think that the fact that that in in an era where there were so many classic horror films that movie to this day is still pivotal for lack of a better word because of its content I think is very very interesting um and so if if you want an idea about sort of what it what it was like what it was about any of you who are fans of American Horror Story I believe season four was titled Freak Show I think that was season four um but very very similar very similar um so that's the 1930s and 40s Cinema is now, we have sound, we're moving out of the silent movie era, so we're seeing a lot of classic stories that we know have stood the test of time on screen. Moving into the 1950s, we still have monster movies that are sort of pervasive in terms of horror. What we have in addition, though, is now we got monsters with some juice, radioactive monsters um, you know, Godzilla on steroids, like whatever. Um, we have all of these different sort of larger than life monsters. Um, and around that time in the 1950s, um, there was a lot of threat, whether it be real threat or perceived, um, of nuclear war. And so 1952 was the year that the first, uh, atom bomb was tested And so since that time, you know, the U.S. and Russia were sort of in this nuclear arms race. You remember, you can YouTube uh, the old uh, duck and cover drills that kids went through in school. You know, if, if we if there's a nuclear bomb like duck and cover. And so I would say that that was also reflected in the horror films. Um, because again, we not only have just Godzilla, now we got radioactive Godzilla, um, again, because there was this sort of societal fear of nuclear war. I will also say, um, invasion of the body snatchers came out in the fifties. Um, and so this idea that a a foreign invader, if you will, um, could come and just take over and mess up everything we have going on again, also very reminiscent of the thoughts and ideas, the the xenophobia, um, that, you know, Americans had and likely still have, um, at that time. And for those of you who are not familiar with the word xenophobia, it's sort of like a, it's a fear or devaluing of people who are not from this country. And again, we can get into a whole conversation about who is and isn't native to this land, but we're going to save that for a different podcast. Okay. Okay. So moving on, the 1960s, that was when we saw the emergence of Alfred Hitchcock. And Alfred Hitchcock brought with him all these psychological thrillers and just a whole bunch of things that nobody ever would have thought about with regard to um, horror. So classic, still to this day, stood the test of time, is the movie Psycho. Um, I know they try to do some remakes and 
I just don't know. The show, Base Motel, was not bad. Um, but the, the remakes of the movie they made, they need to just stop it. But anyways, um, Alfred Hitchcock sort of ruled horror, American horror in the 60s. Um, and in addition to Hitchcock and movies like Psycho, we also saw movies that were more gruesome than we had probably seen before. Uh, more gore, more nastiness. I'm thinking of Night of the Living Dead, Blood Feast, Carnival of Souls, films like that where they were like, all right, we're going to push the limit. And again, think about what was going on in the 1960s. We still have so many people sort of fighting for equal rights and civil rights. Um, This is sort of the era of the free love movement, like everybody just out here living their best life. Um, I believe Woodstock happened during the 1960s. And so thinking about the sort of vibe that was happening at the time, so you had this sort of counterculture movement along with the sort of dominant cultural movement. And so, again, we see a lot more sort of pushing of the boundaries with regard to gore and blood and guts and all those types of things in the 60s. And then even with regard to storytelling, thinking about Alfred Hitchcock. So moving into the 70s and the early 1980s, we see a surge of films that are focused on, one, sort of like demonic children, and two, just the occult in general. And so to this day, the scariest film I have ever seen, and I refuse to watch alone or in the dark, is the original Exorcist. To this day, I just cannot. That is, to me, the scariest film I have ever seen. But we have The Exorcist in the 70s. We have Rosemary's Baby, The Omen, also the film Carrie, based on Stephen King's story. And so in the 70s, again, and going into the early 80s, there's just a lot, there are a lot of films that really focus on these, like, supernatural forces or sort of cult-like forces. Um, So Demonic Possession you know, witchcraft, things like that, telekinesis. And think about what was going on in America at that time. So as I mentioned in the 60s, you sort of had this counterculture free love movement. And anytime we see the pendulum swing culturally, you can bet that it's going to swing back the other way with full force. And so I would argue there was this sort of response to the free love movement in that you better you better turn back to religion or else, you know what I'm saying? Thinking about all the films that we had that were focused on demonic possession. Um, and again, kids just running wild. <laughs> kids running wild and just doing whatever, whatever the hell. Um, so I would argue there was this sort of response to all of the all of the counterculture in the 60s. In 1971, we had Richard Nixon declare drugs as public enemy number one after all these people smoking all this weed you know what i'm saying in the 60s no drugs are public enemy number one and we still have people who are historically excluded people who are othered fighting for their civil rights and so again thinking about how that correlates with what we see in horror and we're going to talk a little bit later about again how we value difference nonetheless i'm excited because we're getting to my favorite genre of horror the rise of slasher gore happened near the end of the 1970s and up through the 1980s and again this is where i live these are my peoples and i would argue it's because jason Voorhees is the reason that i love horror now but what whatever you know um we can talk later about what that says about me that slasher gore is my favorite genre of horror nonetheless Late 70s, going into the 80s. What's going on in America in the 80s besides hairspray, 
bright colors. The eighties seemed like they was a real a real fun time. Everybody was just so bright all the time. And let me tell you, I was here for spandex, I'm here for it. Okay. A lot of that stuff is coming back and I'm here for it. Nonetheless, Ronald Reagan was the president during the eighties and he sort of had this message of of returning to family values basically returning to sort of like leave it to beaver land um and again i would argue is in direct response to a lot of the counter cultural movements that we were seeing um but yeah ronald reagan wasn't about that life nope we're returning to wholesome i don't even like that word but wholesome values and i feel like the horror that we saw at that time was a big sort of f you almost to that um, and again, we can talk a little bit about what those films, what slasher films teach us, right? Like if you have sex, if you smoke weed, if you do whatever, if you're black, you're going to get murdered, like whatever. Um, and I think the fact that these films were made, um, in this sort of era where that wasn't what, again, people in power were calling for, I think is very interesting. And so some of the OGs in the slasher genre of course halloween the original halloween um which i don't know how many films they got now but the original is still one of the goat uh horror movies nightmare on elm street which again i'm not as much of a fan of but that's a conversation for a different day the texas chainsaw massacre and then coming into the 90s we have franchises like scream and i know what you did last summer and of course the og slasher my fave, Jason Voorhees of the Friday the 13th franchise. And I'm going to take a pause for the cause because I can and talk a little bit about my man's Jason Voorhees. I may or may not have a tattoo of Jason Voorhees. I absolutely do because he's my guy. And I'm going to tell you a little bit why he's my guy. So first and foremost, let me give you let me give you a background, okay, of Jason Voorhees. Number one, he just had all kind of problems from the womb okay major health problems as a child like led to some physical differences you know his head was real big um he had some sort of intellectual challenges so he wasn't sort of on par with his peers um and because of this and because of you know his mother's own issues uh because his dad left you know she isolated him uh, his mother isolated him from all everybody except her um, when he was around kids because his mom was a cook at this camp. You know, the kids were mean to him because, you know, kids are cruel. They bullied him. He was neglected by all the other adults in his life um, except his mom. And because of this neglect, uh, Jason drowned in Crystal Lake Um and that, I mean, that in itself is just tragic, right? It's just a tragic story. So by some, you know, supernatural force, he wasn't really dead. So spoiler alert, if you've never seen the original Friday the 13th, he's actually not the killer in the original movie. It's his mom. And in the sort of ultimate, the, the last scene in that movie when his mom is fighting the final girl, Jason witnesses his mother being decapitated. Now, do I know that for sure? Absolutely not. Am I assuming that he was somewhere around and saw his mother get got? Yes, I absolutely do. So to recap, Jason's backstory, right? Born with all these issues, doesn't really fit in with anybody else. The only person who loves him and cares about him and talks to him is his mom. So that is his person. 
He drowns in a lake, and then he sees the only person in his life who has ever loved him get murdered. Now, if that is not a traumatic backstory, I I just don't know what is. And the other thing that I'll say about Jason is he don't mess with people until they come mess with him. Like, if you would just leave him be, if you would just stay off his land, if you would just go on somewhere and leave him be, you wouldn't get got. And so for me, Jason is kind of like, again, he's, he has a traumatic backstory. He is absolutely a, a survivor of trauma. And he just want to be left alone to do what he got to do. But all these people keep coming, trying to open up this camp. What have you, they get got. So nonetheless, there, there, Friday the 13th is a whole franchise that has 12 films, one of which is a reboot. I'm going to talk about that some other time. There's fan fiction. There are graphic novels. There's video games. Jason is a pop culture icon. And again, one of my most favorites because he is not trying to assimilate to this dominant culture. Jason is out here trying to live in the woods, eat squirrels, and live his best life, and everybody just keep messing with him. So I digressed from our larger conversation, but that is my two-minute-plus profile of Jason Voorhees and why he is the GOAT slasher and why he is amazing. So moving on... um, from the slasher genre, which again, late 1970s all the way up through the early 90s, and I would argue still today, is a popular genre of horror. More recent horror, and I'm just going to kind of lump all of this together, because let me tell you all something. Full disclosure, some of this new age horror, like I just can't, I, I can't get with it. I'm trying really hard, um, but some of it I just can't. Maybe it's me aging, maybe whatever, but some of it, I don't know. So when we think about more recent horror, like, you know, beginning in the year 2000 and beyond, we see a number of different sort of genres, a number of different tropes, if you will, one of which is commonly referred to as torture porn. So really just like the grossest thing you could possibly think of. I'm thinking of Saw. I'm thinking of Hostel. Films like that where the gore is just ratcheted up to some very extreme level. And what I think is interesting about that is I think that there is a new age of horror fan that that is their thing that is their jam even though you know like I grew up with Jason Voorhees but the gore that we saw in in Friday 13th and Halloween and Nightmare on Elm Street it it ain't nothing like what we see and again films like Saw films like Hostel I'm thinking of Terrifier films like that where it's just like beyond gross so that's torture porn we also have the emergence of found footage films starting with the Blair Witch Project Uh, up through the Paranormal Activity franchise and movies like VHS, things like that. And to me, there's something very, very creepy about found footage films. I think it's the way they're shot. I think it's because there's something that that seems more real about it because it's like, damn, that looks like my house, whatever. So we have found footage. We have, again, another sort of, I don't want to call it a resurgence, of films that have to do with supernatural forces. So uh, films like The Ring, The Conjuring franchise, Sinister, Insidious, things like that where this is some next level stuff that we dealing with right now and typically you need some sort of like divine intervention or otherworldly intervention to help you conquer whatever it is that you're dealing with. We also are in the age where everyone and their mother is rebooting every classic horror film of ever. So we've seen, again, reboots of Friday the 13th. Meh. 
Nightmare on Elm Street, absolute trash. It, meh. Poltergeist, things like that. Again, movies that have become sort of cult favorites are being remade, which I guess that's cool. And then we have whatever the F A24 that movie studio is doing. I have no idea what it is they're doing. Like every time I watch an A24 film, I feel like I got to take notes. And I don't know if we want to call this like elevated horror, but like just yesterday I watched Midsummer for the first time and I just I just, what? Like, I mean, I get it, but I don't know. So, A24 is, like, in a sort of league of their own in terms of what it is that they're doing. Um, again, some people call it, like, elevated horror because it definitely has this sort of, like, intellectual piece to it, what have you. And then the last thing I'll say sort of about what I think is interesting about horror, and I wouldn't necessarily say that this is new, but I think the world has been particularly horrifying um, for the past few years. And I think that creators and artists are using the genre of horror to really underscore how frightening the world is for some people, for people. Um, and I'm thinking of things like Lovecraft Country. That series is amazing and uses horror to really underscore the violence and brutality of you know discrimination racism things like that and so I think that the world is frightening one thing that I think horror can do unlike other genres is to really highlight those things in a very creative uncomfortable way and so that is a brief overview of the sort of past 90-ish years of American horror, fly-by Cliff's Notes version, like we didn't read the book, we just read the summary type of things. And so what I want to sort of move into now is talking a little bit about, as I referenced before, what is it that we are taught from films like this? How do we in turn learn what is to be feared based on horror films? Because again, that's what the people who create horror films sort of at a base at a base level are arguably playing on our fears and so how do how does that sort of correlate or align with sort of larger societal fears fears things like that so borrowing again from nightmares in red white and blue and again i got this from the documentary because i watched the documentary i have not yet read the book um but the documentary talked about three different tropes that really lend themselves to creating horror films and lend themselves to evoking fear responses. Um, And the three tropes that they described are, one, the unfamiliar, two, a lack of control, and three, a lack of information. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about each of those, and I want to start with talking about the unfamiliar. One of the first things that we're taught... (laughs) That I was taught, let me not say we, everybody doesn't have the same experiences, but in schools, one of the first things that is taught when we're learning about social skills and all those different things is stranger danger. It's perchance one of the first things that you're taught growing up uh, by your family is if some someone or something is unfamiliar, like we approach it cautiously, stranger danger. And thinking about 
people with historically excluded or marginalized identities, stranger danger takes on a whole different lens when you think about the danger being very real just because of who you are, how you identify. So I think about, you know, LGBTQ plus children. I think about children with disabilities. I think about children of color. I think about, you know, children of, you know, parents who may be undocumented, what have you. For some kids and for some families, when you're taught about stranger danger, it has a different sort of element to it, right? But nonetheless, we are taught from a very early age, stranger danger, unfamiliar equals dangerous. And so I think another thing that is unintentionally reinforced um, with horror films, but which again, I think is, is not something that's new, is when we see a physical othering or a physical difference, that too is something to be feared because that is unfamiliar. So you think about these slashers who look physically different. I'm thinking about, again, Jason. He's like 12 feet tall, whatever. He's like huge, right? You think about Jason. You think about Frankenstein. You think about Leatherface. People who clearly, physically look very different than what we may be familiar with or what we may expect. I think about, again, I referenced it earlier, American Horror Story Freak Show or the 1933 film Freaks. Again, physical differences, unfamiliar, which in turn we have been taught equals dangerous. Um, In addition to sort of physical othering, um, oftentimes people who have physical differences are socially isolated. So in addition to looking, different you often engage in different ways and again i'm thinking very much about frankenstein who had zero social skills and so the combination of looking different looking scary quote unquote and then not having any sort of social like it's just a whole recipe for disaster which again in the ways that we were taught equals scary and then i think about those elements of horror that yes absolutely have have physical characteristics that are different but that are not like you weren't born that way so to speak so i think about like the zombies that we see in the walking dead or really any zombie anywhere that was once a person that's now all decayed and gross i think about freddy krueger who was once a regular person and now he all burnt up I think about Michael Myers, who we don't know what his face looked like because he always got that mask on. You know what I'm saying? There are things that I think creators do in horror films and, you know, to evoke a fear response that create a visible mark of difference. Zombies look all gross and decaying like Michael Myers wears a mask. Freddy is all burnt up because we, again, have been socialized and taught that physical difference, physical, a visible othering is to be feared. And, and let me just say, first and foremost, that is not something that I ascribe to. That is not something that I think is a, that is not something that I will affirm. This, I think, is a good time to talk a little bit about the difference between validation and affirmation. I can validate that that is a belief that folks have. That doesn't mean that I affirm it and say that that belief is correct. And so what I'm talking about is sort of a validation of beliefs, not an affirmation. So I do not affirm that just because someone looks different, that they are to be feared, or just because if someone looks different, they are dangerous. I absolutely understand how and why people have those beliefs, though. And so moving on to thinking about 
other than physical differences, how are villains, for lack of a better word, in horror movies, what is it that really evokes fear? And I want to talk a little bit about the, and I'm going to use this term loosely, psychotic villains that we see in horror. I'm thinking about the Norman Bates. I'm thinking about the Patrick Batemans. People who, quote unquote, look regular, but got some whole other stuff going on underneath of that. And so thinking of those three tropes we talked about earlier, the unfamiliar, lack of control, lack of information. I'm thinking about Saw too, right? Like the people who were in these situations and saw like, I want to play a game. All of those different things, right? Those people had absolutely, there was a a guise of control, I think, that, you know, if you just do this thing, you won't die. Um, They, I feel like, had no control over being put in that situation. So that is horrifying. There's a lack of information about how and why I got here and why is this happening, even though Jigsaw gives this whole like backstory. That still doesn't tell, like, why is this happening? Um, I think thinking about, you know, like Patrick Bateman in American Psycho, like, sir, you have little, you're at the top of the societal hierarchy. You are a white, cisgendered, heterosexual man who got money. Like, why are you doing this, sir? You know, things like that. Again, lack of control, lack of information, horrifying, right? The other thing that I think is, is unique about people who don't have physical sort of differences what are very scary is you could be sitting next to Jeffrey Dahmer on a bus and not even know. You know what I'm saying? Like there's this sort of proximity that is also very frightening. I live just west of Milwaukee where, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer did, we, you know, killed all those people um, in the 80s. And there is, even though he's dead and that happened a long time ago, like thinking about that, there is something that is very frightening. If I was sitting next to Jason Voorhees, I would know it because he looks different. If I was sitting next to Michael Myers, I would know it because he looks different. I would not necessarily know that about Jeffrey Dahmer or Patrick Bateman or any of these other people, right? So there's this issue of proximity, again, that is also quite frightening. And again, I just want to reiterate um, the difference between validation and affirmation. That again, I understand how and why people would have these beliefs which does not necessarily mean that I agree with them. And I think that this, talking about people who, like, again, the Norman Bateses, the Patrick Batemans, people who seem to have some sort of mental situation going on, which is causing them to do what it is that they do, I think that um, unintentionally, films that include villains, killers, whatever you want to say, like this, uh, unintentionally perpetuate stigma related to mental health so thinking a little bit about stigma people with a a mental health concern are more often than not perceived to be in control of that and as such perceived to be responsible for it so oh you're depressed that's your fault you should get up and do this oh you're anxious that's your fault again this these are not things that i believe this is what stigma is is having this believe this idea that if someone is depressed, if someone is anxious, if someone is whatever, that they they're responsible for that. So they then need to do something to change it. And so people tend to respond angrily to people who have mental health concerns because again, there's this, there's this idea that if you are that way, 
you can do something about it. And if you're not doing something about it, then it's your fault. And so I think that, again, movies about these sort of psychotic, again, I use that term loosely, uh, people, particularly, again, I'm thinking about Leatherface, right? Like, he was just a regular old dude who did all this stuff. You think about his whole family. Like, these weren't supernatural forces. These were just people. To use Sam Winchester's phrase, these are just people, right? Um, There is something that perpetuates this idea that People who have mental illness are to be feared. People who have mental illness, if they're acting out because of that mental illness, it's their own fault, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so, again, thinking about how these characters in horror films, these different tropes condition us and teach us what it is that we should fear. And so with that, we are going to bring this conversation to a close And so American horror, hmm, about that. And so compliment sandwich style. I'll start with something good about horror, which obviously you have heard me say I love, 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 love. Um, My favorite thing about watching scary movies is laughing after the fact. Like literally, I will be watching a movie with my husband who never gets scared of anything. I will be sitting blanket up to my chin, watching the movie through my fingers, and so tense, so scared, like I can feel my shoulders just tensing up, and there's something so fun about coming out on the other side of that. So one of my favorite things about horror is literally laughing at myself for being scared. Like, and again, not laughing at myself in a demeaning way, but it's like this roller coaster of emotions that you go on, like the suspense is building, the tension is building, and ah, something happens, and then afterwards, we're just laughing, and it's funny. And so that is one of my most favorite things about the genre of horror. Something not so good, so this sort of middle layer of my compliment sandwich here, it has been more difficult for me to watch horror movies of late. Um, and some of that may just be, you know, me getting older and, you know, I used to be able to watch people getting, you know, chopped up, whatever. And it's like, what, this doesn't phase me. Um, so some of it, I think is that it's just, you know, maybe I'm getting more prudish in my old age. Um, but what I would say is that it, it has definitely been different, difficult. It has been difficult for me to separate like fictional horror from the horrors of every day in the world. And I think some of that comes with, has come with my own maturation and the way that I have grown into my own as a professional and the type of work that I do and really understanding inequities and and what that's like like for people and their lived experiences. And so it's hard for me to watch a movie about, scary stuff when I feel like the world is so scary for so many people you know what I'm saying and I think that I have I have to and I am beginning to I've I've very recently like returned to watching more horror movies um because again it was it's something that I really really enjoy and I think I've had to really set myself up to watch them right like this is this is an escape from all of that other stuff that you do like this thing that you're about to watch this is fictional this is this is this is that and I'm using this to sort of cope for lack of a better word because I understand that this is fake and there are a lot of other 
horrifying things that I deal with every day that are not. And so I think that that has been something for me that has been rather difficult. And then sort of the last thing I'll say to put the bottom bun on this compliment sandwich is that horror is absolutely amazing. And I think that Again, in speaking of my maturation, when I was younger, you know, watching scary movies was about, it. some of it was about the gore, some of it was about, you know, jump scares and loud sounds and all those different things. And I think now I've really grown to appreciate the messaging. I think that, again, horror is unlike any other genre in that, you know, people are coming in and they're expecting to be scared. They're expecting all of these different things. And the beauty in which some of these creators get messages across in this very, I think, difficult, very tense type of way is absolutely amazing. And I think that now there are definitely horror movies because I always hear people say, you know, like, I don't like to be scared. Like, everything scares me. Everything scares me, too. Like, I'm still scared of the dark. Like, I will admit that loudly and proudly, right? I think that there are so many different types of scary movies now. There's so many different, you know, Netflix got like 500 different shows, like whatever. There's so many different platforms, so many different ways that people are exploring this genre that I really do think if you have an interest in getting into it or, you know, what have you, there is a way. And I absolutely would recommend that you do that because it is definitely, it's tight. It's tight up in here. Okay. And with that, I want to thank you all for your time, your attention, and for bearing with me and my nasally voice. Hopefully the next time that we are together, this is all cleared up because I'm just about sick of it. <laughs> Pun intended. So until next time, good people, I wish you and your families safety, health, and joy. Be well, y'all.